0: listening to Chickens Can't See Cube, the podcast all about absolutely 100% true facts that are not made up. I'm your host Piper Dawes and with me as always is Christopher Parr, Director of the Munchausen Institute for Totally Real Research. Hello Chris. Hello. Uh, Chris has gathered his favourite facts from the Institute's activity this week and he's going to share them with us today. So Chris, how are you? What's the Institute been up to?
1: Well this week we've all been forced to uh, work from home. Oh, OK. Not because of any COVID-related measures, but because, and this will come as a surprise, um, I know, but it turns out there's asbestos in the Institute's offices.
0: What? Ah, oh, I was convinced by the conversation last week where we talked about asbestos that, that actually you were completely free of such poisons in your air, but it turns out no. Oh, dear. Are you, are you OK? You're going have to have to get some sort of poison check? What's going on?
1: Well, uh, that cough that I had at the end of last week's episode was from all the asbestos that I'd been breathing. No. And not, as I had thought at the time, an allergic reaction to Kyle's new haircut.
0: A fair assumption, absolutely. Um, so, your body of staff are what? Are you, are you all quarantined now?
1: No, because um, asbestos related diseases aren't contagious.
0: No, but you're working from home instead of actually being in the office.
1: Yeah, because there's asbestos in the office.
0: This is what I just said. There is asbestos in the office. We, have, we, we we've established that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry about that. I'm also working from home, but that's because I don't want to catch coronavirus. There's no asbestos here. I don't. I don't think.
1: Glad to hear it.
0: Well, uh, despite the fact that you are away from your desk, do you think you can uh, you can manage to muster up some facts for us this week? Uh, well, I took the facts with me when I left the office, so I've got them all here. Excellent. Excellent. That's great. Okay. Well, should we crack on? I put them all in a big box and carried them home. Well, I'm very excited for this box of facts. So uh, let's start with the first fact, because I feel like that's probably the best uh, course of action. What have we got here, Chris? Walruses were the height of fashion in 18th century Paris. Right, this is fun. I mean, we know walruses, you know, those mustachioed, strange-looking Arctic beasts, were hunted almost to extinction in the late 18th and early 19th century Clearly, the rest of the world didn't see these strange-looking animals as anything more than an ivory resource. What what happened in Paris? Uh, As you say, um, during the 1700s,
1: walruses were hunted by uh, european sealers and whalers for their blubber and ivory being a kind of exotic animal to europeans a few specimens were captured alive and brought to uh, europe for display and they briefly became something of a sensation among the european aristocracy
0: oh right so so because this was an industry like an active industry the the hunting for blubber and ivory this became like a what a, a style choice what what did that look like then so,
1: in Paris, uh, then as now the fashion centre of the world, there was a, a craze for a walrus based uh, makeup in clothing. Uh, so, members of the aristocracy would wear uh, makeup inspired by uh, the walrus' uh, distinctive whiskers and jowls, padded, puffed up, flabby clothing based on their considerable bulk. And some nobles even went as far as wearing large prosthetic tusks in their mouths, inspired, of course, by the walrus elongated canines.
0: Wow. I mean, I, I, I'm i sure, as with the listener, I have, this, uh, I have a, a, a very strange image in my head of what this might look like. It's not completely dissimilar to the um, body horror film Tusk, um, and I'm now getting sort of horrible flashbacks that I don't really want, Chris, so thanks for that. Um, so it sounds like Parisians really loved walruses in the 18th century then. The, the actual walruses themselves, were they all just hunted and killed or were some brought back alive?
1: Well, as I said, some were captured alive and, and brought back for display. The short-lived obsession with walruses um, even extended as far as some nobles uh, paying exorbitant amounts of money to acquire walruses for themselves and unsuccessfully try to keep them as pets.
0: So they, they kept them in the, kept them as pets. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, we can relate that to uh, modern times when celebrities actually take uh, wild animals and keep them as pets. And um, we've mentioned this before with the uh, Humphrey Bogart's big cat sanctuary, but we've not seen this in the eighteenth century. Uh, apart from the obvious fact that you'd need like a fairly big tank of water, why why was that unsuccessful?
1: Well, I mean, mainly because uh, walruses are fucking huge.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've not got really any, any sort of scale measure to base them on. Usually, when you see pictures of walruses, you just see them on ice, and ice could be any size. So, uh, <laughs> how big a <are> walrus is? <laughs> ice could be any size. Hyperdors <laughs> <laughs> 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like i mean i'm i, I, I imagine walruses are pretty big they, they used to be mistaken for mermaids which freaks me out a bit because i thought mermaids were supposed to be really fit and that was a manatees who were mistaken for mermaids what i've done there is i've mistaken walruses for manatees so clearly we're all shit at perceiving things um <laughs> well you are like, just you. All right, yeah, it's just me. So, okay, walruses are fucking huge and, and it's a stupid idea, but people are stupid and people like to have status symbols like tigers and lions and walruses in their houses because somehow that's a, a good idea, I don't know. So, obviously, they were massive. Why else why, couldn't you keep a walrus as a pet then? I'd like a walrus as a pet.
1: Well... I mean, I know there's all these stories of how French aristocrats were filthy and they just shit and piss anywhere in their own mansions. But a little bit of human effluence is nothing compared to the amount of waste produced by a, a fully grown walrus. And also, uh, you couldn't exactly take a, a walrus for a walk down the the Sean's
0: Elysees, could you well maybe not but I mean imagine what that would look like it wouldn't be completely out of place in a overly stylized 18th century Paris I've not actually been to Paris myself but like considering how like it's a it's it's always been like this this huge cultural um, epicenter if someone just like walked out of their Parisian flat with a fucking walrus I feel like that would be more normal than it would elsewhere in the world
1: I don't really know what to to say to that. I mean, the French are a bit weird, but I'm not sure they're that weird.
0: I guess, I guess. So considering the fact that, as you say, the members of the aristocracy would wear prosthetics inspired by the walruses... This can't have lasted very long. I mean, with things like this, these these big changes in fashion, they can't last more than a season or so. What, what 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 happened in like in the end?
1: So obviously
0: there was the
1: difficulty of actually keeping walruses, which led to a loss of interest among the aristocracy. There was also the surprisingly high number of deaths caused by the prosthetic tusks popular among the nobility. Oh, what were they doing? Were they fucking jousting with them or something? So, like, when out walking, uh, perhaps while trying to drag their pet walrus down the Champs Elysees, a noble might trip and fall down, and the impact of the fall might push their fashionable dental accoutrement through the roof
0: of their mouth and through their brain. I love that graphic uh, description of of that. that that's uh, that's great. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so people were basically. Trying very hard to look like fashionable walruses, and because that took quite a lot of prosthetic effort, there were a lot of accidents, and it all went a bit wrong. So, if we look at um, how fashions change over time and stuff, fashions often cyclical in nature. So, like we've we've had a resurgence of nineties fashion over the last ten years, and like that's that's been a thing. Um, do you think we'll see a resurgence of walrus based fashion at all? I mean, contemporary fashion is even the nineties was far less
1: flamboyant than it was back in 18th century Paris. So I'm not sure people now would go for walrus whiskers and flabby dresses. That said, though, it was only the nobility back then who went mad for walruses. So maybe we could convince our present nobility, like poshos and billionaires and such, to wear large prosthetic tusks, and then they could quote-unquote accidentally trip up and impale themselves.
0: Yeah, so what you're suggesting is some sort of class genocide through fashion mishaps. (laughs) I I feel like the aristocracy, as it were, don't tend to lead trends as as much as they did in the 18th century. I feel like people might just think they're being weird. Are there any other examples of uh, animal-based fashion trends, Chris? Well, fashion has always turned to the animal kingdom for inspiration.
1: Uh, Zebra and leopard print... Crocodile skin, boots and purses, shirts and jumpers with giant tacky pictures of wolves on them. That's true. A specific example, uh, one fashion designer recently incorporated what's known as bee purple into their designs. That's the uh, specific shade of ultraviolet that flowers use to attract bees because only bees can see it.
0: Oh, so they incorporated a colour that we can't see into their style palette and... This seems like a sort of Emperor's New Clothes sort of scenario where it's like, yeah, it's really cool. It looks amazing. But like we as human beings can't actually see it. I don't know why I'm commenting on this as a surprising thing because this is the sort of thing that goes on in fashion all the time, this sort of weird, out there, you only get it if you get it sort of thing, if you're one of us. It's very sort of um cult-like fashion in that sense. Well,
1: this actually seems to have used bee Purple because um the fashion show in which these... Designs were a debut and had to be abandoned when a swarms of bees attempted to pollinate the models.
0: Okay, so let's move on to uh, fact number two, second fact of the show. That's uh, that's what two means. What have you got here, Chris? A man has died after living his life according to fortune cookies. Fortune cookies are a relatively new concept, actually, and they're not at all like an ancient Chinese custom or anything. They're provided as part of a meal in many Chinese restaurants in Western countries. Many contain lottery numbers on a small slip of paper inside a cookie, along with a mantra to live by or a prediction for the future of the eater. Unfortunately, at first, many didn't know about the paper inside and ate the cookie choking on the paper, making them known for a while as unfortunate cookies. These days, the paper is edible in case they try to eat it again, but the fortunes themselves are often discarded or at least not taken seriously. So did this unfortunate man believe in the fortunes within, Chris?
1: Uh, So this was an American man named Bert Lipman. Who began this tradition of living his life according to fortune cookies after receiving a particularly salient fortune in a cookie back in 2011?
0: Oh, so he decided after getting a fortune that helped him, he would just continue that process of um, what, like, um, yeah, living his life according to fortune cookies. What was the what was the actual uh, salient fortune that he got in 2011?
1: It read. If one does not poke the bear, one need not run from the bear.
0: Where was this guy from? Did he have a bear attack him or something?
1: Well, um, he actually came across a bear on a camping trip later that week and remembering the fortune, ignored the the powerful urge to poke it. And as a result, didn't have to run for his life from an angry poked a bear
0: right okay so presumably just by the law of coincidence he uh, was one of the many people that got this fortune and he just happened to be in the vicinity of a bear at some point after he received the fortune so yeah so he he will have seen that as a uh, a confirmation that his fortune was predictive in nature and helped him but let's be fair i'd probably do the same thing chris
1: <laughs> and it also turned out to have a more figurative meaning As remembering the fortune, he was able to avoid a messy confrontation with a co-worker by not goading them on in an argument.
0: Oh, okay, okay, Yeah. So, I mean, this is this is a thing with 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 fortune cookies. I don't know if the listener at home has ever had a Chinese meal, but fortune cookies do tend to be a little bit uh, metaphorical in uh, in their fortunes. Um, So. So, yeah, that makes sense. So he so he took the uh, the metaphorical meaning as well as the uh, the literal meaning. And he was uh, so his week was improved twofold. Okay, so, I mean, he's not a complete idiot. He's clearly thinking, you know, uh, I understand coincidences. There was a bear. Anyone could have had a bear attack. Fair enough. But also this helped me in other ways. Uh, Yeah, I can I can I can understand that. So so what did so so after that point, he just lived his life based on fortune cookies?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, he didn't make every single decision based on a fortune cookie. He wasn't a, a Batman villain. Um, instead, um, he'd get Chinese takeaway every Sunday and live the next week according to whatever fortune he got.
0: Yeah, that's not completely insane. That's, that's just like a, a slight quirk, I guess. So what, what happened? You originally started off saying that he, that he died. It sounded like he was getting some luck and he was just living his week, considering the fortune that he got, thinking, you know, if it was a bear... I look out for a bear. If it was something to do with uh, a hot air balloon, don't get into a hot air balloon. You know, that doesn't sound like a major thing. Uh, why Why did he die? So the whole thing ended rather badly when in
1: January of this year, he got a cookie with no fortune. He then died of dehydration several days later after spending the week doing literally nothing.
0: Okay so i feel like this guy's gone down in my estimation slightly so so he actually instead of considering what a fortune might say and living his life by it he considered the fact that him getting no fortune means that he should just do nothing yeah i mean on the plus side
1: he didn't have to see what a garbage fire of a year 2020 turned out to be
0: sensible man sensible man <laughs> it's not the worst way to go i mean it's pretty awful but like
1: i think dying of thirst would be pretty bad.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not something I've looked into, but it wouldn't be something I'd do by choice, I don't think. Um, So, you know, going back a little bit from his demise. So he was living each week while considering how a fortune might affect it. Can we have some examples of how these fortunes dictated any given week? So one was a bird
1: in hand is as good as two in a rush. In a rush. Yeah, uh, so that week Lippman slowed down and did everything very carefully and meticulously. Uh, One read, courtesy killed the cat. (laughs) This one caused Lippman to be uh, rather rude to his boss, which had the unexpected result of his boss gaining respect for the, and offering him a promotion.
0: Oh, okay. So I mean, this is like um, uh, confirmation bias, really. It, it went so well; it was almost like building on this silly thing that he was doing. And it was actually, I, I guess, probably he was just thinking like any of us. I might do this silly thing, and actually, well, if I get a fortune every week, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just like look out for things that that might come up that related to the fortune. But every week, it sounds like he was getting something very, as you say, pertinent to his life. So it was confirming his half-held belief, and that be- must have become like this solidified thing that's, that, it, that meant that he had to absolutely obey the fortunes. This could have happened to any of us, Chris. Well, it could have happened to me, let's be fair. <laughs> any others? Yeah, um, one read,
1: fortune favours the bald, bald spelt B-A-L-D.
0: Oh, I know where this is going.
1: Uh so that wig litman shaved his head. Um and <laughs> ended up meeting his future wife who had a thing for bald men.
0: Oh wow, okay. Maybe I should get Chinese takeaway a bit more. Would you shave your head though? I'd struggle with shaving my head generally, but like oh, it sounds like he's had a great run with him, even if he did die afterwards. It sounds like these have these have re- these fortunes have really helped him. You know, you never know you never know these things, Chris. Like it you know, by. It might, be, it might be real. The fact that he didn't get a fortune and that's why he died. I mean, obviously, that, that, was a, that was a clerical error. Human error is a thing, and, and, and that's fine. But maybe the fortunes were real. Maybe, maybe he was genuinely um, uh, improving his life directly because of these, uh, these uh, fortune cookies. So maybe I would shave my head. This is more, of a, more and more of a convincing argument. Maybe it wasn't human error and the cookies meant for him to die. Well, now I'm scared of cookies, so thank you, Chris. (laughs) (laughs)
1: The cookies giveth, and the cookies taketh away.
0: (laughs) So is uh, Bert Littman, um, is he the first case of someone dying as a direct result of receiving their fortune?
1: Well, no, this isn't at all a case of someone dying as a direct result of receiving their fortune. If you'd actually been listening to the last ten minutes of the podcast you supposedly host Piper, you would have known that this was a case of someone dying as a direct result of not receiving their fortune
0: Ah uh, you fucking know what I mean right like, <laughs> 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 obviously he'd interpreted not receiving his fortune as this is the fortune for this week. this is the thing you have to do and and his his interpretation of that was do nothing um so Clearly, he saw that as him receiving his fortune. Like, uh, now I'm calling into question the definition of the word fortune, and I'm getting a little confused. But, (laughs) all right, is this the first case of someone dying as a direct result of interpreting a fortune a certain way?
1: I, I mean, that's difficult to say, but it's certainly a unique case. Fair enough. I mean, I suppose most people die not having had a fortune read to them. In the the recent past, so I guess no.
0: It it sounds like you're a little bit skeptical on this uh, whole thing, Chris. But I mean, I'm fairly convinced. I'm fairly convinced now. I, when I, I started out on this little journey you've taken me on, I was I was very um, very skeptical of the fortune cookie. But setting aside for a moment that the guy died, it sounds like he's had a lot of uh, success from his interpretation of fortune cookies. Does the institute believe in the validity of fortune cookies
1: well this fact did get us thinking as we hadn't really ever considered the ability of uh baked goods to predict the future or somehow divine uh, a salient feature of the the reader's life or personality so we got a bunch of fortune cookies and i'll read for you the first three i found and i'll let you make up your mind whether or not they had anything to say Okay. So the first one read, competence like yours is underrated, which on this podcast is accurate as fuck.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Uh,
1: The second one said, um, disbelief destroys the magic, which could be a kind of meta commentary on the very concept of the fortune cookie, but is also a pretty insightful comment on the Institute's work, I think.
0: Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you you know, I take on all angles and all bits of research you throw at me, and I, I I I make my own decisions. And I know, I know, you think I'm an idiot for for believing things, but like, yeah, I, I I think that's I think that's fair enough. Go on, then. What's the third?
1: So this one might really clinch the idea of fortune cookies as accurate predictors of the future. Uh, this one, read, and I'm just quoting from the the fortune. Piper will fundamentally misunderstand the central point of episode 16 second second fact, presenting another opportunity to humorously and only slightly ironically belittle her in front of the six people who actually listen to your podcast.
0: All right, that brings us on to our third fact. What's this, Chris.
1: Uh, Lenin's
0: penis reportedly has magic powers. Well, already I'm completely in love with this fact. Um, in love with Lenin's penis. Yeah, Chris, <laughs> you're supposed to you're supposed to be a director of an institute. Come on, grow the fuck up. Sorry, uh, Vladimir Lenin, founder of the Soviet Union, died in 1924, creating a power vacuum that led to Stalinist Russia, the USSR. Though he was supposedly working towards a Marxist-Communist utopia, Lenin paved the way for a police state governed by dictatorship. Now, his penis has not been mentioned in many academic papers about early 20th century Russian politics. Um, What do we know? So,
1: a cult of personality um, arose around the founder of Soviet communism, both during his lifetime and especially after his death. And the fact that his preserved body is continually on display behind glass in the Lenin Mausoleum has resulted in a wealth of superstitions surrounding his corpse many of which concern his penis
0: right i didn't know that his body was on display just like what constantly
1: yeah um, lenin's mausoleum is in red square in st petersburg and it's actually cost quite a lot of money to keep it preserved to have like people like touch up the makeup and his clothes every so often
0: so preserved in what in, in a sort of mummification sort of way
1: no and um, they try to keep it looking as lifelike as possible so it's not like properly like embalmed or anything which is why they have to keep on touching it up so
0: to speak <laughs> i've had too much wine for you to say things like that chris come on <laughs> <laughs> oh this there's like a hundred years of layers of makeup to um, so just keep him looking alive I feel like it's not even his body anymore It's like the, the, the whole sort of like um, Eternal broom scenario Where like the handle's been replaced so many times And the broom's been replaced so many times It's just like It's just all foundation now
1: Are you suggesting they've been replacing His like head and torso and limbs With other bits
0: Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> Oh no, no His leg's gone now Have we got another leg? Let's go find oh, What about yours? No, I'm a person I'm a lie well, maybe we could have yours and you could just hop around for a bit. It's Lenin. It's fucking Lenin. Hero. He's a fucking hero, isn't he? Give him your leg. I don't know. Um, <laughs> is it actually his penis, though? Is his penis still intact? Because this whole fact's kind of based around that. Well, I mean, I don't have any direct evidence of the
1: state of his penis. But um, getting back to this fact, Piper... Um <laughs> some people believe that lenin will rise again when the soviet union is in need and both the crisis and subsequent resurrection will be signalled by lenin's corpse getting an erection
0: yeah i'm glad you brought me back on back to planet earth on this one because like that that's brilliant obviously i love that what so when when russia's in crisis again lenin's going to get a hard on and um pfft, who says these things? Who what, Who? Who decides that he's going to get an erection? And is there any evidence to support this thing that you're saying? Uh, not really. I mean, given that the Soviet Union
1: collapsed in the early 90s and that Lenin didn't rise and then rise, that like pretty much puts paid to that belief. The Berlin Wall came down, but Lenin never
0: came up. Fair. So uh, other than his erection supposedly signalling his resurrection, what magical powers does his penis apparently have? There's a
1: belief that uh, robbing Lenin's penis, a flaccid autumescent, will bring good luck. And there have been several attempts by people to break into the mausoleum and uh, give Lenin a a quick handy.
0: So it's just like physical contact that supposedly gives them good fortune?
1: Uh, yeah, kind of like the Blarney Stone in Ireland.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give it a good rub, and you'll be all right for a bit. <laughs> so that's it then. You just rub his willy, and 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 you're good for a bit. Is that is that is that the deal?
1: Uh, that's the
0: idea. Yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Should we go and rub Lenin's willy, Chris? Is there some sort of social distancing issue there? <laughs> Well, I mean, you're not actually allowed to touch the body. It's, you know, behind bulletproof glass. Oh, that'll really cook the theory there. Like, you know, because they're not allowed to touch his body. They'll believe more and more the idea that it will do the thing that they say it'll do because they're not allowed to touch it. This is how these things come about, isn't it? If you stop them doing a thing, they'll be like, well, you're only you're only really stopping me doing it because it's going to give me luck forever. This is how these things come about, Chris, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. It's
1: um, it's, all, it's all folk beliefs and whatnot.
0: So this whole thing about his penis having magical powers, that's just like you rub it and that's it?
1: Well, there's a, a somewhat related belief that uh, Lenin's supposedly hypervirile sperm is still preserved in his testicles and that if it could only be extracted somehow, it could cure all known diseases, including the pernicious illness known as Western imperialist capitalism.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I, I I question how these people get these ideas. When you say some believe, well, like who is it? Someone who's just like got some specialism in hypervirile sperm? Is it someone who was by Lenin's bedside as he died and he went in their ear? Oi, listen, right? I've got magic sperm. <laughs> if you use it, if you like, put it in like a test tube and like use it as a vaccine for everyone in Russia, they'll never get sick ever. Is that what happened or is it, is it just like when you say some people, do you just mean you've 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 been on the internet? Is this a Reddit forum thing?
1: Well, interestingly, belief in these things has been on the rise concurrent with the rise of social media. So it does feel very much like folk beliefs just spreading from person to person. Okay. Like somebody puts up a post on Facebook saying, I bet if you rob Lenin's willy, you'll get good luck, and then somebody else shares it and before you know it.
0: You cured all human diseases, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, theoretically, Chris, uh, what does the Institute think our future might look like if a dead communist cured all diseases with his balls? On the
1: one hand, it would be great because there'd be no more diseases, no more COVID-19, so we could all go outside again.
0: We could go to a disco, Chris. You could go to a disco. I've not seen you in a long time. I'm going to take you to a little party and it's going to be nice. And we're going to, have, we're going to talk to other human beings. Do you remember that, Chris, when we talked to people in person? Yeah, it was awful, wasn't it? I mean, it never went well, but I've, I'm hopeful for the future. Um, but um,
1: on the other hand, a world in which all diseases were cured by the hyper seaman semen of the founder of soviet communism we probably have that same soviet communism and all its attendant problems curtailing of civil liberties gulags famine on the ascendancy once again um, igniting a second cold war and possibly even a third world war
0: can't we just have our lovely communist utopia uh, without all these men fighting like if he cured all diseases with his balls then, like, you know, that sounds great. That, that would be wonderful. And, and, and we wouldn't need to have all these fights and nasty things. If we cured all diseases, that's, like, bullet point number one on the checklist towards a beautiful communist utopia. I mean,
1: you say so, but on the other other hand, would you actually need to drink Lenin
0: spunk? Well, this is... We haven't addressed this at this point. I'm, I was assuming some sort of vaccine.
1: Is a world in which you need to guzzle down in a dead man's jizz to stay alive really your world worth staying alive in
0: trouble is mate i think if i mean his balls can only be so big and you know if it cures all diseases and you've got to drink it rather than you know have a, a micro dose in in some sort of injected vaccine fashion that's going to cause problems that would actually cause some sort of war in its own right wouldn't it because like there's 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 a small amount of sperm in someone's balls and how would you decide who who gets to live without any diseases like what we need is lenin's spunk to be analyzed to figure out why it cures all diseases and then to reproduce that as a vaccine for the entire world without profit i've solved it chris i've solved it <laughs> don't don't you be don't you be going quiet on me no i've solved it i've sorted it no um so so we'll do that and then, uh, and then, and then we've just got to stop people trying to find oil and land and shit. But we've we've ticked box one. We've we've got we've we've done that. And then and then we'll figure out the rest.
1: You seem pretty convinced now that Lenin's sperm will cure all diseases. You were sceptical about this whole thing earlier, but now you seem pretty much on Team Lenin's penis.
0: <laughs> I'm talking theoretically, of course. Well, let's move on to something that doesn't concern a communist's semen. Are there any other historically magical penises? Um, Christopher Columbus's penis apparently always pointed due north. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wait, so so was it made of, of some sort of metal? No, it was just a, a normal, you know, <laughs> fleshy protuberance. But somehow magic. So, theoretically... According to some people, I'm doing air quotes, you can't see him, but but we've said some people quite a lot. And I feel like this is a, a citation that we need to use because it's all we've got on this fact. Some people think that Christopher Columbus's compass or the Columbus, if you will, I, I wish you wouldn't, is his willy and he can get to America using that.
1: Um, Yeah, if you want.
0: <laughs> I feel like you started this. <laughs> Oh, come on, tell me there's, there's another magical penis.
1: I'm not a penis, but Adolf Hitler's other testicle, which, as everyone knows, is on display in the Albert Hall. <laughs> yes, I had heard that. And um, allegedly vibrates in the presence of those of, a, shall we say, Semitic persuasion.
0: That brings us round to our fourth and final fact of the show. What's this one, Chris? Um,
1: a university in America offers a course on internet
0: memes. Well, oh, I love internet memes. Okay, so as we know, memes are concepts, often pictures, that gain viral popularity on the internet. Recently, these can be attributed to widely held political views, opinions about the movements of, other, of popular celebrities or just references to common human personality traits. Early memes were much more random in concept and would make little sense outside the creative mind of whoever made it. Their popularity was often unpredictable in the early days of the internet and and many attempts to try and understand what makes a meme go viral were met with disdain, which is why a university course on these concepts sounds so fascinating. What is this, Chris?
1: So... The Craig Roberts University in Florida um, offers an elective course called Introduction to Memes, Creation, Distribution and Impact.
0: Amazing. Uh, What's the content of the course like? Maybe I could be the next viral sensation.
1: So after establishing that meme is pronounced meme and not maymay as A lot of students seem to think the course begins with a brief introduction to mimetic theory, um, including the obvious references to Richard Dawkins, The Selfish Gene, and uh, Susan Blackmore's The Mean Machine. The course then teaches students the esoteric art of stealing someone else's memes, the subtle craft of creating their own memes, and the arcane knowledge that leads
0: to going viral. Oh, cool. I'd love to know if there's like a surefire way to get popular on the internet for completely baseless and vapid reasons. Well, this isn't really the course for you
1: then. Introduction to Memes. It's been running for about seven years, and to date, uh, none of the graduates have gone on to have any kind of success in the high-pressure dog-eat-dog world of internet memes.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. So it sounds like the course doesn't actually give useful information on how to create a successful meme then.
1: No. The most success garnered by a graduate was a version of the Galaxy Brain meme about different types of cake, which got um 103 likes on Facebook.
0: Okay. So as I said before, the psychology behind a meme is almost incomprehensible because you can't predict what's going to go viral, what's going to be popular. And that was kind of the point of articles that would look at the progress of weird internet memes in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was this sort of weird, unscientific thing that you could never really pin down. And I was quite excited when you said that there's a university course that actually talks about all of this. But it sounds like this isn't what I thought it would be at all, <laughs> one hundred and three likes. That's the most they've got out of an internet meme. Okay, I mean, I, 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 I'm really excited by that particular meme that you have talked about. Different types of cake. What cake is the best cake according to the according to the meme? Then,
1: so the meme with its uh, four successively larger brains lists boring old vanilla sponge as the smallest brain, then carrot cake, then a chocolate fudge cake. And then the titular galaxy brain is strawberry cheesecake. Yes! <laughs> Fucking cheesecake! <streets> yes! <laughs> oh, were you one of the 103 likes?
0: <laughs> well, I will let you know that it's 104 now, because <laughs> I went and found it while you were saying that, and now, now it's 104 likes. So you can update your uh, intel. <laughs> okay. This is this has assisted me in rejuvenating my aim to get the perfect cheesecake. That's very exciting, Chris. Thank you, thank you. Fucking love cheesecake. Did you know? Um, I'd kind of guessed, yeah. So the Munchausen Institute, Chris, of which you are a valuable part, when you are promoting your services and uh, knowledge and uh, information on uh, in and around the internet, do you use? memes to do that
1: um we have experimented with memes in the past well a meme in the past
0: a meme
1: yeah um you know the one that's got like the the rapper like the rapper man on it and it's got like two pictures of the the rapper man and in one of them he's like oh i don't like that one very much but then in the bottom one he's like actually quite like that one yeah
0: yeah so how did that benefit the Institute then? How did you use that concept to push your agenda? So
1: we had a few of them. And we'd put our rivals in the academic world in the top one so that the rapper man would be dismissive of the Royal Institute or QI or something. And then mm. in the bottom one, we'd have the Munchausen Institute for totally real research, which the web plan was like, ooh, I like that one, actually.
0: Yeah, and one of the best things about these memes is that they have to be believable. I mean, I, I assume this is in the course, or maybe not, because obviously they haven't garnered successful uh, internet memes from their students, but I've noticed that the most successful memes are the ones that are based in truth, and if you're implying that the uh, No Such Thing Is A Fish podcast, for example, or the QI television programme are subservient to our podcast or institute then that is absolutely based in truth and as you know we are dealing with absolutely 100 percent true facts here and and that's and that and that is what creates a good meme i mean did it go well did you get um some likes on the facebooks
1: uh no i don't think anybody liked our our rapper man meme
0: no
1: and that was before the podcast though so i might try again now and see if we get any more traction with the rapper man
0: yeah, 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 yeah. Give it another go. Because, you know, I, I think the people that listen to this podcast are very dedicated to us. And, and I think they'd appreciate some validation in their opinion because they clearly, they clearly believe in the work the Institute does. And so do I. And I think a meme will help bring them together as a group. A good meme. A good meme helps everyone. Um, so there, are there any other ultimately useless courses offered at this uh, university that the, the Craig roberts university
1: um they have one on conspiracy theories which kind of gives the game away by being entirely about inventing your own conspiracy
0: theories oh okay so so it's not about um the history of conspiracy theories or anything but you're you're just like encouraged to create one yeah but conspiracy theories are are, are based in facts chris are they you can't create something yeah you can't create something that's based in fact so 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 yeah no let let, let me explain to you i mean you're the academic here but like a, like it, from, a, from, a, from someone who, who has, has researched this a hell of a lot, uh, conspiracy theory is something that is incredibly well-researched, incredibly well-documented. And when you put that on the internet, you wouldn't... I mean, no one would just put something on the internet for no reason. You just put that on the internet because it's fact. So why have they made a course that's like a creative course for inventing something? Conspiracy theories, are, uh, uh, they're like a factual thing. I don't know what to say to you, Piper. Maybe some of the supposedly fact-based conspiracy theories you've been reading have actually come from this course. I'm going to have to go home and rethink my life. <laughs> Let's go back to internet memes just for a moment. I heard that Richard Dawkins invented internet memes. What does he think to this course? I don't think he even knows about it, to be honest. It's not very well regarded. I bet he's very excited about his uh, his little invention, gaining some traction. I mean, he does he does normal stuff sometimes, doesn't he? He does, he does like... I'm sure I'm sure you've heard of Richard Dawkins. You know Richard Dawkins. He does stuff to do with people and science, but he he also like he took a little sideline and and made internet memes. Is that what happened? Yeah, I, he was just like a little bored, I guess. And when when he saw the internet was a thing, he was like, "Well, I'm going to make memes." He was the one that did the little baby shaking his fist. That was his thing. And then and then he was like well, my work here is done, that the people can continue it from that point. And then he just fucking carried on with his sort of evolutionary bollocks. That's what he knows. But he had some sort of sideline success, didn't he? Wow. And there was me thinking that he
1: devised the idea of memes in 1979 as an example of a replicator complementary to the gene and comprising of units of cultural transference.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound realistic at all, Chris. Okay, that's it you've been listening to chickens can't see cubes with me piper doors i can be found on twitter at piper talks and christopher parr from the munchausen institute
1: i can be found on twitter at trilby norton and the institute can be found at
0: muin photo ray, ray that's m-u-i-n-f-o-t-o-r-e-r-e and you can contact the podcast on twitter at CQs, cubes and facebook and instagram at chickens can't see cubes Thanks for listening to Chicken Scarfcy Cubes. And remember, you probably could make it up, but we haven't. Honest. And we'll catch you once again on next week's show. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.